Hey there, everybody. Here we are again. Uh, this is going to be our Christmas episode. I'm Scott Durfee. I've got uh, Uncle David here, as always. Uh, this has just been a wonderful experience, Dave, as we've gone through the last several months. We began this endeavor, this project at Easter, and here it is Christmas. Yeah, there there wow. seems to be some appropriateness we, there. We started it on Easter. Maybe we should end it on Christmas, huh? Yeah. Beginning I, in the end. but The beginning in the end. Make the uh, beginning the end that way, the, though. The book ends. Yeah. But anyway, Scott, it's such a great time of the year, and and to have the Christmas songs we sing. I wish there was a little more Christ-centered songs on some of the television shows I'm watching. It seems it just seems to me, and I may be totally wrong about this, but it just seems to me that some of the Christmas shows I watch, which I love to watch, yeah. I, love, I love the Christmas music and the festivity and the celebration of this amazing season, but it just seems like to me, for whatever reason, there's less and less Oh Holy Nights and Silent Nights and Christmas songs that are celebrated, that are celebrating Jesus Christ on some of the shows that I'm watching and some of them, anyway, some of the stuff that I hear. But I just hope that we, all of us, you and me and all of our listeners, uh, that we can celebrate Christmas with Christ as the center of everything that we do, every symbol we we look at, which we discussed last week, and uh, as we really contemplate, you know, I used to, when I was a young dad, we kind of started a tradition of my family that that I would get all, I'd wake up the kids and They'd want to know, of course, if Santa Claus came, that'd be the first thing. And I would say, you got to go in, you got to go in, mom and dad, and sit on the bed. And when they, even when they were little, they would have to go sit on the bed, and I'd have to read them some scriptures. <laughs> <laughs> on Christmas morning. On huh? Christmas morning. Yeah. Before we could, uh, we'd have to read the scriptures and say a family prayer before we went down to check on Santa Claus. <laughs> I, and I think... I, it used to be kind of, it was sweet, but it was kind of funny to me. Because uh, they were so anxious, and 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 I understood all that. Yeah. But it was just I thought it was important that we started Christmas morning out, you know, just just contemplating for if for just a short time, a few moments, you know, what it was all about. And uh, it's just so easy to to skip that. Yeah. And it takes such little effort really to remember it, but it. It has to be kind of planned, and, and it has you have to be kind of focused on it. But if if we are, there's, I don't know, just a powerful spirit that we can feel, not just in the joy and the peace and the reason of the season, but literally spirit, Holy Ghost, bearing witness that these events occurred, that, that this is actually, these are historical Factual events. And those are some of the things I'd like to discuss today. Yeah, that's going to, and it'll be great to do that. Last week we did talk about the symbols of Christmas. Encourage you, if you haven't already, to go back and listen to that one as well. 
Uh, we had a lot of fun, I think. I was listening to it yesterday before we published it this morning, and uh, I just, uh, that was, a for me, a fun episode where we could talk about uh, things that were really important. Today, we're going to do kind of the same thing. You talked about having your kids come in and sit on the bed before they get to go. I wonder how many of them were like, oh, my gosh, let's just get into Santa Claus. <laughs> well, they were for sure. <laughs> but, you I know, I see it in their faces. You know, they're going, oh, no, come uh, on, Dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just got back from Orlando where I was uh, working this week, and while I was there, I was talking to somebody, and I just wish I could remember who and all the details, but it was such a crazy week. But they, they, they were telling a similar story, but in their family, rather than read a scripture and all that, I don't even know if these, these people, in fact, I know they're not LDS, but uh, it was a husband and wife, and they were tell, actually, and they were telling me that... Uh, one of the things that they do for Christmas was, is that uh, they, they open their gifts, and then at the end of that uh, period, which seemed foreign to me, when I was growing up, we didn't wrap, Santa Claus didn't wrap the presents in my home. They were just out. And then when I got married to Deb, man, that changed, you know, Santa Claus wraps Everything now, right. you know, and I think that's how it was in this family. So, so they go around, they open all their gifts and so on, and then... And then when they were done, they have they get to go around, and each person talks about what gift they're given to Jesus this year. Mm, sweet. And, and I said, "Well, give me some examples of what some of those gifts might be." And you know, and they said it's everything from the silly, you know, for the little ones, to the sublime, you know, for those that are more thoughtful. Mm, and yeah. and it, the uh, dad said, "I remember one year when when uh, their son, I think he said he was just a young teenager, I would guess thirteen or fourteen." said, I'm going to give um, Jesus the gift of love this year. And the dad mm. said, well, what do you mean by that? And he says, I'm going to just be kinder. Mm. I'm, for this year, I'm going to be kinder. I'm going to show more love to the people I'm around. I'm going, apparently this kid was kind of popular and, mm-hmm. you know, an athlete and stuff like that. And he says, I'm going to be kinder to the kids, get to the people at school and, mm. you know, and those kind of things. So I, I think that, uh, you know, that gave me, I was thinking about that all morning long. Very early, I got on an airplane at 3 a.m. Utah time to come home be, home in time for church Sunday. And uh, I, I thought about that the whole time. You know, what gift, what gift am well, I, I going to give him it, this year? I think, I think that's kind of how we ended our, yeah. our last podcast yeah. was to yeah. invite everybody to consider a, yeah. a gift or a sacrifice yeah. that we can make or give to Jesus this year and... You know, I think we suggested, I I love whenever I think about what can I give Jesus, I think, what what sins can I give Me Jesus? Me too. Well, I haven't I, always, but King I Lamoni's father. I will give away all my sins to know thee. And again, what's strange about that to me is to give him sin. Yeah. I see to, give, to give Jesus, the sinless one, our sins. There's so much irony in that, and... And yet, that's I think that's maybe one of the most special, precious, desired gifts he wants from us. If we would give him nothing more than that, nothing would make well, him happier. Then his suffering would not be in vain. There you go. Yeah, that's exactly right. True. Well, let's talk about uh, the first Christmas, shall we? Yeah. Yeah, let's jump in, Scott. So... Uh, before we talk about the events of that of that special uh, time, uh, 
it's it's awesome to just contemplate all of the prophecies that were made by Old Testament prophets, Book of Mormon prophets, and prophets that maybe we don't even have a written record of, that everything looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One, and that uh, all the prophets knew of it. it. Even Adam, even Adam, it was even in the Garden of Eden when 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 Elohim says, you know, to to Satan, that you'll have power to bruise his heel, but but he will have power to crush thy head is a something of a prophecy that it would be Jesus the coming of Jesus and the atonement of Jesus that would uh, put down death and sin and Satan. And so even from Adam, even before he left the Garden of Eden, to the time that Jesus was born, all prophets testified and all scriptures pointed towards the birth of Jesus. And I I think a few of my favorite, uh, besides, of course, Isaiah 9 and others, you know, were the, the... Whenever I think about that, I think of Handel's Messiah. By the way, it was so cool. I I love that story about the writing. I don't know if you know about it, Scott, but the the miracle really that the writing of Handel was that they did that in he did that in such a short time, like weeks, that he puts together this this whole opera of of the Messiah. And when I was in London, the one thing I wanted to see, you know, when I when I went to London and. I went to the Westminster Abbey. Was I knew that Handel was buried there, and I wanted to see Handel's grave and uh, memorial, and uh, and much of his that oratorium comes from, of course, Isaiah and the prophecies of Isaiah. But I love the Book of Mormon prophecies of the birth, and I I think this is maybe the scripture I read to my kids. <laughs> Most of most of the years, when uh, they would go get on the bed before we went downstairs to see if Santa Claus came, it was it's in Alma chapter seven, and uh, Alma is prophesying uh, of the coming of Jesus in the first Christmas, and I love this verse, verse seven, Alma seven seven, for behold, I say unto you, there be many things to come. You know, this is what a hundred and something BC, many things to come. And behold, there is one thing which is of more importance than they all. For behold, the time is not far distant that the Redeemer liveth and cometh among his people. Wow. Of all the things, Alma says, of all the things that are to come, the thing that is of most importance is the coming of the Redeemer. And of course, he would have not only been thinking of his birth, but his life, his sinless life, and and his atonement. And then down in verse 10, the prophecy continues and gets pretty specific. And it's amazing to think of of how specific these prophets, uh, the knowledge that they received concerning the birth and the events. In verse 10, it says, And behold, he shall be born of Mary. So Alma, hundreds of years before, knew that Mary would be the mother of Jesus. Mary at Jerusalem, which is the land of our forefathers, she being a virgin, a precious and chosen vessel who shall be overshadowed and conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost and bring forth a son, yea, even the Son of God. A little more, just another witness and uh, more evidence of how 
may be Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. Um, it's uh, That's one of my favorite prophecies. So um, I also love Nephi, 600, almost 600 B.C., uh, even before they arrived in the promised land, Nephi has this vision. I think Lehi probably had it as well. And uh, he sees the, the condescension of God. An angel walks him through it. This is in 1 Nephi chapter 11. And uh, he sees Nazareth. And uh, verse 13, well, let's start with maybe verse 12. And it came to pass that he said unto me, Look, and I looked as if to look upon him, and I saw him not, for he had gone before my presence. That's the Holy Ghost that is speaking to him. And it came to pass that I looked and beheld the great city of Jerusalem, and also other cities. And I beheld the city of Nazareth, and in the city of Nazareth I beheld a virgin, and she was exceedingly fair and white. And it came to pass I saw the heavens open, And an angel came down and stood before me, and he said unto me, Nephi, what beholdest thou? Then I said unto him, A virgin, most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. And he said unto me, Knowest thou the condescension of God? And that's when we get this great verse in verse 17. And Nephi answers to the question, Do you know the condescension of God, that God came down to be man? And Nephi says, I said unto him, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. Hmm. We quote that scripture so much, and this is the context of it, is the angel asking him, do you know what the condescension of God and the birth of Jesus is really all about? And Nephi humbly answers, well, I don't know everything, but I know God loves me. And... uh, Verse 18, And he said unto me, Behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the Son of God after the manner of the flesh. And it came to pass that I beheld that she was carried away in the Spirit. And after she had been carried away in the Spirit for the space of a time, the angel said unto me, Look. And I looked and beheld the virgin again bearing a child in her arms, Verse 21, last verse. And the angel said unto me, Behold, the Lamb of God, yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father! Exclamation mark. Knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? So that's an amazing, amazing prophecy. And uh, that we also have the prophecy of Abinadi uh, in the Book of Mormon of the birth. And we have the prophecy of... Uh, Samuel the Lamanite. We have the prophecy of King Benjamin. King Benjamin has an angel walk him through that. So we have so many, uh, many witnesses, even before Jesus was born, Scott. Yeah, uh, a different level of faith. We talked about that a couple episodes ago that, you know, that's just a different level of faith that they had. You know, we can look back and there is some historical record, right? Uh, And nonetheless, we need faith, but that's a different level of faith that they had. And 
And, and I love those. But they could see it with an eye of faith. And, and that gave them hope. And that that helped establish the church there based on that same faith that we have yeah. in Jesus Christ. And wouldn't it be powerful? In fact, uh, I gave a patriarchal blessing Sunday. And Scott, um, the second coming comes up you know, frequently, not always, but frequently, giving patriarchal blessings to the youth in this in this time that we live. And uh, honestly, when when that does come up, it's like I can see it happen. The, you know, this individual will introduce his family to the to the Savior. And uh, a, a few weeks ago, I gave a blessing that this girl would feel the prince. And it's it's kind of like when I pronounce those blessings upon these youth, it's like I can see it. And I wonder if if all of us could maybe receive that gift and that vision, some something of a vision, to be able with an eye of faith to see the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is, Scott, even more prophesied in the scriptures than the first coming or the birth of Jesus. Many times as the birth is prophesied of, the second coming is the most prophesied event in all the standard works. And we need to look forward with faith, as these prophets who prophesied of, the, of Christmas, for the, the birth of Jesus, we need to look forward with faith, the same level of faith they had, towards the second coming of Jesus. So before I forget to say that, as we talk about the first Christmas and the, the faith these people had, uh, we need to exercise and and increase our faith to be prepared for the second coming as well. Well, and they provide a pattern for us on how to do that. Yeah, the, you Good know point. the the, uh, the prophet is there, and the prophet's uh, providing the prophecy, uh, and the uh, those who are members, who uh, covenant members, and others are are those who are exercising faith in the name of Jesus Christ that these things will indeed come to pass. And that pattern stands for us today. You know, we, we, we enter into covenants. We, we, we receive the prophecies and, and the direction at conference and at other times from our apostles and prophets and very much the same, but the pattern's there. And if we do what they did then we will have potentially the same experience that they have had. True. Well, as we begin the events of the first Christmas, um, Scott, there's many things about this story that are not essential to our salvation and that people can have their own opinion about in regards to some how some of these things went down. You know, kind of, yeah. you, you can kind of, you can kind of have your own little uh, uh, idea or or a perspective, and we don't have to be totally unified on that. And uh, and I'll share a few, maybe that individuals haven't heard of before today. But um, there are a few that are absolutely essential to our salvation, and uh, and those have to be. We have to be rock solid on, I think, at least two things. Number one, this was a virgin birth that uh, somehow being overshadowed, uh, Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. I don't know what that means. Frankly, we don't need to know what that means. 
Heavenly Father is never going to tell us how that happened. It's just too sacred. That's what we know about it, and it's really important we understand this, that, that Jesus is, this is the second thing, the literal Son of the Father, Elohim, that He is the Son of God. We, we, we cannot compromise or, or really doubt that in order to obtain salvation, to have the faith in Jesus that we need to have to be redeemed. So as, I, as we talk about some of the events, a lot of these things we are a little bit, uh, we know something, but we don't know everything. And as, so as we kind of walk through this, you know, I'll share different ideas about it. But just again, the, the testimony that, uh, that Jesus was born of a virgin and that the, his father was God, our Heavenly Father. So with that, let's begin. Now, I, one of the things that we don't know about, you can have your own opinion about, first off, is when was Jesus born? And we celebrated the 25th of December, and there are many who speculate, who say that that began in the 4th in the century, that, that the date was somehow changed in the 300s AD, and that may be true, that may not be true, uh, Jeff Chadwick wrote an amazing article, BYU Studies, years ago, um, about he he believes and has evidence that that December twenty fifth was probably really close to when Jesus was born, and and that may be true, <laughs> but I, me myself, I uh, will never forget Elder Bednar in April of twenty fourteen. Uh, made this statement, may each of us do and become better through the Savior's atonement. Then he says in his conference address, today is April 6th. We know by revelation that today is the actual and accurate date of the Savior's birth. April 6th also is the day on which the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was organized. And of course, the scripture that they all the prophets have used to support their idea about that, which is not necessary for our salvation. This isn't a doctrine, okay? This isn't a doctrine, so it's not, not that important. But, but uh, Doctrine and Covenants, section 20, verse 1, which talks about the rise of the church, uh, you know, 2,000 years since the birth of Jesus. Anyway, you can read that verse. And uh, as a reference for Elder Bednar making that statement, we know by revelation that today is the actual and accurate date of the Savior's birth, April 6th. Well, he, he, he re- references Doctrine and Covenants section 20, verse 1, but he also references a statement by Harold B. Lee, Spencer W. Kimball, and uh, Gordon B. Hinckley as also saying that, that they believe that. Well, I'm going to just say... That's good enough for me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I don't know when he was born. Yeah. Uh, some people think that he was born during the Feast of the Trumpets, which would put it in October. You, you can have your three opinions. Do you believe he was born in April? Do you believe he was born in October during the Feast of the Trumpets? Or do you believe he was born during in December, the end of the year, Christmas? I'm fine with any of those. But because of this statement by a prophet and other statements by prophets... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with this. So if we begin with the idea that uh, Jesus was born on April 6th, 
then the story of the first Christmas really begins in February, the year before Jesus was born. When Zacharias, the, the, the husband of Elizabeth, the father of John the Baptist, goes to the temple early in the morning, lots have been drawn, and there are thousands and thousands of priests at the, at the temple during this time of Jerusalem. You're lucky if you get to draw a lot and participate in in these ordinances. And Zacharias draws the lot that he he gets he he gets to light the incense and burn the incense. And the tradition was that every morning and every evening, according as they were commanded in Exodus, at when the tabernacle they would go in every morning, every evening. Three of the priests would go in, priests of Aaron, and they would go in and they would prepare the the inside of the temple and, and uh, you know they would light the candle and they'd clean the altar and they they had some duties to do and so these three these three uh, priests went in Zacharias uh, one of the three and he had the most special sacred responsibility which was to light the incense which was the essence of worship to to these Israelites that that uh, burning incense was the smoke, the the sweet savor, uh, rising up to God, uh, carrying people, their people devotion. People can't see my hand gestures right no, now. No, but I can on the past podcast, <laughs> but like a cloud, yeah. like a cloud, yeah. the holy cloud, uh, uh, rising up to God. Yeah, carrying their devotion, carrying their commitment, the, and their prayers, their, and their prayers. That's right, yeah, okay. and their prayers to God. That was the essence of burning the incense. And, and the, the priest that did that would pray. And so Zacharias was playing, praying for all of Israel this morning that he was there. And I think he would have prayed, of course, for the coming of the Messiah. And he would have prayed, perhaps, a personal prayer, even though they were in their old age. I think... He still was hoping, for maybe Elizabeth's sake alone, that they would have a son. And when he prays this prayer, an angel appears, identifying himself as Gabriel. So this is the first appearance of Gabriel in the story. And Gabriel tells him who he is, identifies himself and tells him that that he and Elizabeth will have a son, and so they're they're in their eighties. Yeah, they're we don't know how old we don't exactly, know for, okay. but they're old. Yeah, okay, okay, they're old. Yeah, so I that could be really the life expect expectancy at this time in Jerusalem is only like in the forties. Oh, okay. So you know, I think they're like in their thirties or forties. Gotcha. Okay. But that's old. She's barren, and they're getting old, and uh, maybe they're older. Maybe they're 50s, 60s, 70s. Who knows? Uh, And uh, so Gabriel appears and uh, was filled with the Holy Ghost when this happens, and it takes a little longer, and people are getting a little anxious on the outside because the Israelites, good, good Jewish people who go to the temple every morning and every evening, face the temple and they pray, and they're out there kneeling down praying, and it's taking Zacharias a little longer to come. And after Zacharias has this experience, he has a little conversation with Gabriel, and he says, how, how shall I know that these things will come to pass? He has some doubts about this a little bit. 
And he says, how shall I know? And Zacharias says, because you, you'll be dumb. You can't speak. You won't be able to speak. And he loses his ability to speak. Right. And he can't speak until after John is born and is named. Then he gets his speech back nine months later or some, nine months and a few days or weeks. But after he has that conversation, which takes a little time, he goes out and they're all kind of anxious. And, and he's supposed to recite a, a prayer from the book of Numbers, and he can't recite it. And so he, I don't know what would have happened there. We don't have a record, but I think he probably looked at one of the other priests to recite the prayer for the Israelites to end this kind of morning worship service. And he goes home and he tells, somehow communicates, doesn't tell her, but he communicates to her in writing or other means, hey, Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. And Elizabeth uh, conceives. And uh, she's uh, going to have a baby. And uh, the scriptures record that she leaves for five months. She goes to just kind of be alone and to ponder. And uh, then she comes back, you know, six months later. And about that same time, um, there's a sweet young woman engaged, a betrothed. Cousin. Cousin, which the, Hebrew, the, the Greek word for cousin means relative, really. So we don't know really how they were related. Could have been a cousin, probably was a cousin. Could have been an aunt. I, yeah, kind, of, yeah. I kind of think that maybe she was uh, an aunt to Mary because we don't have any record of, of Mary's mother. And, and a lot of bi- biblical scholars believe that the, Mary's mother's probably passed on, that she's died. I mean, just culturally think about this for a minute. They didn't have any medicine. They're, they had bad water, dirty water. They didn't have clean water, clean food, no doctors or medicines like we do. I, I mean, really, there were a lot of people who died early. And um, if you made it past 40, you were old. So I don't know. May, that could be true that Mary's mother has, has passed. And maybe Elizabeth is a sister to Mary's mother or some relative of Mary. Maybe cousin. But Mary is a teenager, Scott, when this, when this happens. Betrothed to Joseph. They, they would have, um, who knows, but there's kind of three parts of a, of a Jewish marriage. The arrangement of the fathers uh, who arranged the marriage that my, my son will marry your daughter. And, and they discuss the exchange of what that will be like and dowries and all of that. Yeah, that's kind of, that's the engagement, and that that can happen when they're kids, when they're young kids, elementary age. Yeah, year, years in advance. We don't know. Right? Well, yeah, yeah, but that's that's when they become engaged, right? And there's something of a contract uh, with that. Yeah, and then they become betrothed when within about a year of marriageable age, they become betrothed, and uh, we believe that Mary and Joseph were betrothed that they were. They had actually met together under the canopy, the marriage canopy, and it's all—it's like a marriage except they're not living together, where they meet under the marriage and they make promises to each other, uh, contractual covenant promises, and we believe that's where they were at in their relationship. So they're in the second stage, and then after about a year after the betrothal, they'll after the man has um, the young man both probably teenagers, by the way, after he has made arrangements for 
uh, a home, place to live, and she's made arrangements, uh, got all that she needs to prepare for a marriage and a family. Then he'll show up one day, like kind of in the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, he'll show up. There'll be a wedding party, and he'll pick her up in his arms and carry her back to their home. And there'll there'll be this huge party and and final consummation of the marriage. Well, uh, she's betrothed, and probably I think of her as being fifteen years old or thereabouts. And uh, Gabriel appears to her. And he identifies himself, and um, he he says, I, I'd just like to read it, I think. In fact, what, do you have it, Scott? In Luke chapter 1, beginning with about, um, start with verse um, 26. And it starts out in the sixth month, meaning the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So Elizabeth is, is pregnant. Uh, with John and has been pregnant for six months. That's where that's where we begin. Verse twenty six, Luke one twenty six, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, Maybe just pause for a minute there. So um, this second time Gabriel has appeared, the uh, first thing he tells Zacharias in the temple is, Fear not. The first thing that he says to Mary is, fear not. And the first thing the angel will say to Joseph is, fear not. And the first thing that the angels say to the shepherds is, be not afraid. So four times, I think that's an important lesson that we can all apply in our lives, is is the command to fear not or to be not afraid. And And he addresses Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Well, Mary itself, the, the name means the exalted one or the favored one. And uh, no doubt Mary, who has found favor with God, we, we think of her, really, Scott, as the most elect of all women. Um, Eve would, would come second to that. But of all women who have ever been born on this earth is Mary, who would have been an extremely elect spirit in the pre-mortal existence who was chosen and foreordained in the pre-mortal existence to be, to be the mother of Jesus. And uh, so th- this is uh, how angel, uh, the angel Gabriel addresses her and how he, feel, he, he knows who she is and how God feels about her. So do you want to start that again, verse 30? And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, 
How shall this be, seeing I know no man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Mm. Isn't that powerful? Keep going, yeah. Scott. Just yeah. And through 38. Is, and, read through 38. Okay, this is where we get into the visit uh, with Elizabeth. Well, uh, because Gabriel is still speaking here, and Gabriel commands Mary to go see Elizabeth. Okay. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible in okay. Mary. End of end of Gabriel. That's how he ends. Okay, it's so interesting. This angel ends his his statement, his introduction and statement pronouncement to Mary. He with. ends it with this verse in thirty seven. For with God, Mary, nothing shall be impossible. He reminds her of that, and then Mary's response in verse thirty eight is so powerful. And Mary said. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Wow. What do we learn about Mary there, Scott? Just an absolute incredible supplication to the Lord's will here, right? Be it unto the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. I think, you know, Dave, that's, there's a great lesson in that for all of us. So, you know, we, we see these things and so often we become so accustomed to what they say and what we read that every once in a while just a little thing will pop out. Yeah, Something will just pop out. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that for me, and, and maybe for many of us, uh, we have an opportunity here to, you know, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her, and Mary arose in those days and went forth in the hill country with haste into the city of Judah. So she went with haste after, right. after these things were given to her. The right. Holy Ghost had come upon her. We talk about the Holy Ghost coming upon us, and that's how the administration of the atonement of Jesus Christ, whom is being announced here, is brought forth and Definitely. to us. And, and so Mary is uh, experiencing the Godhead in all of its members mm-hmm. firsthand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, the, the submissiveness, the meekness, the humility of this young, yeah. young woman. Yeah. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Wow. This is where Jesus learned from his mother. This, I really believe this, Scott. He learned from his mother this deep humility, thy will, not mine be done. He learned that from Mary first before he ever went to the Garden of Gethsemane. We should consider what may have been going through Mary's mind at this time. Well, think about that. Right. This is a time in a culture when, you know, we learn later that uh, as Joseph finds out about this, he could have put her away. Right? Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Uh, and, and so imagine the fear that must be coming upon her. She's just yeah. a young lady. She's now going to be right. pregnant. And, and when you're pregnant, it becomes obvious after a few months. And the, the persecution and the trouble and, and trial that could have been 
Something that may have Terrible. risen all kinds of fear in her at this Terrible point. Terrible to yeah. think about what could have happened. So another shunning, uh, the an, shunning and even uh, the stoning, yeah, the I, shunning I and stoning that could have taken place in in her life. Yeah, just an just an unmatched measure of faith. Yeah. Well, so she she goes now. That would have been if again, if Christmas is April sixth. If I mean, if that's the birth of Jesus, right? Uh, then the, the, all of this would have taken place probably in July, August, thereabouts. And and Mary immediately, in haste, goes down to Jerusalem to be with uh, to be with Elizabeth. Makes that journey. It's uh, if she doesn't go through Samaria, it's uh, it's probably about a hundred miles, ninety miles down from Nazareth. Uh, around the Jordan River, down to Jerusalem, uh, go down to Jericho, and then up from Jericho, up kind of on the mountain where Jerusalem's located. Anyway, it's, it's not an easy trip. It's uh, it's probably, uh, uh, I think, a, some say, if you're really moving, I mean, how long did it take you to go 90 miles from Salt Lake City down to Nephi or Scipio? It would be more than a day to, to yeah. walk and to go with a caravan. It would right. t- it would take you almost a week, and uh, she goes down there. She sees Elizabeth, and John, six months you know along in in Elizabeth, leaps, leaps for joy, because somehow this John knows the forerunner of that, Christ that he's in the presence of the Messiah. Right, so. Anyway, she knows, Elizabeth knows, being filled with the Holy Ghost, it says, that Mary is an elect woman and will be the mother of God, the Son of God, the Messiah. We know that she went down there to probably be comforted, to probably get some counsel, to probably get out of town. I believe, now this is, this is again, there's many... You're entitled to your own opinions about this, everybody. But I really believe this strongly, and I know others do too, that Mary, knowing the contractual covenant agreement she made with Joseph, being the good Jewish girl that she is, Scott, true to the law, I believe she immediately, after she had conceived Jesus, immediately went to Joseph and said, I'm pregnant, and you need to know what happened. An angel appeared to me. I think she told Joseph the whole story. I, I I believe this that that he he would have had time to think while she was in Jerusalem, away from him in in Jerusalem with Elizabeth. Joseph was trying to figure it out, and Mary told him, "I'm going to go down and see Elizabeth, and I'll be back in a few months, and uh, you can tell me what you've decided to do." But I'm pregnant, and it's not any man's baby. I have not committed fornication, or it would have been adultery because they were betrothed. I am not. I am not an adulteress. I was told that I would be the mother of God. You can think what you can, what you're going to do about that. Can you imagine? No. And again, that gets into the faith that both Mary and Joseph. Yeah. So we're going to talk a, about Joseph here now. Yeah. And his reaction to that. So Mary goes down to to Jerusalem, and then a few months later, may, maybe as many as three months later, about I, we don't know if she's there when when Elizabeth gives birth to John or not. Uh, I think she probably came back a little before that, but nevertheless, 
she comes back. And uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 1, where we read the account of uh, Joseph. By the way, Scott, Luke, most of the Christmas story is in Luke chapter 1 and 2, right? Yeah. And Luke was a Gentile and wouldn't have joined the church until after Jesus had was dead and resurrected, years after. Paul probably converted Luke. Uh, Luke was a Gentile. He was Paul's uh, personal physician. Uh, he wanted to make a record from a Gentile perspective. He really writes to the Gentiles, the, the Gospel of Luke or the Book of Luke, and the Book of Acts, which he wrote, is directed towards the Gentiles. And he talks about, I want to give you some eyewitnesses. I want to give you a record of Jesus from the account of eyewitnesses. Uh, all scholars believe that, that Luke would have interviewed Mary, and that the Luke account, written by Luke, St. Luke, who I believe became an apostle, would have been from Mary's viewpoint, from Mary's uh, own experience. So as we, as we think about that, uh, keep that in mind, because uh, when we go back and read Luke 2, you can just think Mary is telling Luke this story when we read it. But in Matthew, who's trying to make the, uh, the argument, he writes to the Jews. Matthew's trying to convince the Jews of the prophecies of Jesus, and uh, gives a genealogy here in Matthew 1 to show that Joseph is a direct lineage uh, back, to, back to Abraham, really, back to David, Anyway, he he gives us this account in verse starting with uh, verse eighteen. Do you want to start to read there, Scott? Yeah. Now, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and, and not let me let me pause you there. Being a just man, I remember years ago in Minneapolis, Minnesota in an old uh, library, uh, finding a Jewish commentary and reading about how Jews see this event. And the term just man, Scott, this, this description of Joseph given to us by Matthew, means he was strict in the law. Joseph was strict in living the law. And if he would have really believed, this is from a rabbi, giving a Jewish commentary of the New Testament and the birth of Jesus that I'm reading. And, and the rabbi says, if he would have believed that Jesus, or that, uh, Jesus had been conceived by God, he definitely would not have stoned her. If he would have believed that Jesus was fathered by someone else, that, that, that Mary had committed adultery? He definitely would have. He definitely would have had her stoned. So keep that in mind as we read this. Joseph being a just man or a man of the law. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. That says a lot about Joseph, too. Right? Yeah. Now, why would he want to put her away privily? Well, first, let's, let's, let's describe what that means for those that may struggle with exactly what does it mean to put her away privily. What does that mean, Dave? So what it means is we're just going to be really quiet about this. Make it go away. We're, we're going we're gonna to have a quick little divorcement. We're, yeah. gonna, we're not going to make it public. 
we, we have to have a divorcement because they're betrothed. We're going to make a little divorcement, and I'm just going to keep this all private, and we're just going to try to keep this uh, on the sly and not try to ruin her or me. I believe, I believe this strongly, Scott, that Joseph believed Mary. I think he trusted her. Uh, he knew of her integrity. And when she told him before he, she went to Elizabeth that I, I am the mother of the Messiah, Joseph thought, uh, okay, I, I, I believe her, but I am not worthy to be his dad. I don't want to have anything to do with this. I can't do this. It's not that he didn't want to do it, but I believe Joseph thought to himself, I can't do this. I'm just going to put her away privately. I'm just going to try to sweep this under the rug, and I'm just going to try to move on with my life and let her move on with hers and and be the mother of God. I, I think that's how he originally thought of it, yeah. Scott. Very well may have been. And, and as he was having that, and if that is was indeed his wrestle, verse 20 kind of adds to that. But while he thought on these things... In other words, while he wrestled, while he was struggling, while he was in his own wilderness, his own sacred grove, in his own attempts to gain access to the revelation here. Yes, yes. I think he was wrestling not so much with what Mary had told him, but... With his own words. What was his responsibility in all of this? But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. Saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. There it is again. Right. And that may, be, may have been a reminder, because they well, knew that the Messiah would come through that lineage. Definitely. And, and Yeah, so Gabriel's reminded him, hey, Joseph, son of David, remember, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, let me read that and, and emphasize it differently. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. You're right, Joseph. She is the mother of God. The angel is confirming what Mary has told Joseph and confirming what Joseph already knows. She is the mother of God. She has conceived by the Holy Ghost. That's not, I don't think that's a new idea for Joseph because he's believed Mary's story and the angel's just confirming it. Again, people are entitled to their own opinion, but that's how I see it based upon a Jewish commentary of how they saw Joseph as being a just man of the law. Verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That's the great prophecy of Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 7. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. 
very few men with that kind of humility and connection with Heavenly Father probably have ever existed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I just it, 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 a great man who is absolutely doing what he can to align his will with his Heavenly Father's will and taking direction from an angel and the Holy Ghost and putting aside his own selfishness, right. his, own, his own desires at this point. His even. own passions. He, well. And again, he's so quick in haste. To, to He went and married her. As soon as I think she gets back... He says, "Okay, we got to we got to do this now before you're showing right you're this your this pregnancy. We have to do this now." And so he uh, quickly married her. I think he would have maybe waited uh, more like a, a year before he married her, but he wanted to marry her now. Does so, and then he they never consummate the marriage until after Jesus is born. We we do not believe. We reject what Catholics believe about the relationship of Joseph and Mary. We do not accept the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception is not about Jesus. It's really about Mary. And the Catholics believe that Mary uh, never sinned, that she was conceived also in a miraculous way, and that she did not have the seed of sin in her, and that she never sinned in her life. Uh, we we don't believe that about Mary. We don't uh, have the same worshipful attitude uh, that uh, maybe Catholics have about the Immaculate Conception. We believe that Mary did have the seed of sin in her, and that uh, being fallen, totally fallen, that uh, Jesus was fully mortal because of Mary and jo- uh, Mary being uh, his mother but fully immortal because of God being his father. And that was, that was the, uh, the state and the condition which uh, Jesus was born into. Uh, Mary immortal. A, she would have had all of the mortal experiences and temptations and no doubt had needed Jesus as her Savior because she had sinned. So we, we reject that. Uh, and we also reject the idea that Joseph was older and that he already had children and that Mary o- married an older man named Joseph who already had kids. We don't believe that. The reason they believe that is because they don't believe that, that Mary, Virgin Mary, ever has any sexual relations with anybody, including Joseph, and yet the Scriptures record that Jesus had uh, brothers and sisters. So... Where did they come from? Well, they couldn't have come from Mary, according to the Catholic Church and their belief. Uh, they had to come from Joseph's previous marriage, and that Mary married an old man who already had children. We don't believe that. We believe that uh, Jesus's half-brothers and sisters were the children of Mary and Joseph, that Joseph waited a year to consummate the marriage, and that Mary and Joseph together did conceive other children and that that was the family that Jesus grew up in. So just maybe a little clarification on what we believe versus what what the Catholic Church and other, but I think the Church of England and a few others maybe have some of those beliefs as well. Well, so Joseph decides to marry her, they marry, and that leads us to the great story of Christmas in Luke chapter 2. So maybe let's turn to Luke chapter 2 
and uh, review some of these events. And I know we're uh, we're probably going a little over here, Scott. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're going to go long today, but I think that we we'll, need to we'll not be too long here. We need to uh, we need to include a lot of what uh, we've planned to include, and we'd be remiss if we did not. So, well, let's just let's just. It's always better when you can to read the sacred record. I hope all of all of our listeners with their families, with their loved ones, can read Luke chapter 2 this year as we celebrate Christmas. Our family did it Sunday night for part of our family night. We reenacted the nativity scene, and we read Luke chapter 2 together. But uh, let's, let's just read it, Scott, if you don't mind, and I'll interrupt you as we go through it. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius, the governor of Syria. Now, the point is, Luke's trying to make a point here. And the point is, this is an actual, factual event. There's a historical setting, and this is the timing of it, and this actually happened. I mean, he's trying to give us some some historical facts here. Uh, Caesar Augustus was really Octavian, who was uh, an adopted son of Julius Caesar. Uh, Rome was in its greatest, uh, flourishing, largest uh, empire of the world in its, in its history. And uh, he wants all the world to be taxed, and he knows the Jewish importance of family and ancestors. And so he's going to tell them, I want you to go back to your ancestral home, which for Mary and Joseph, being of, the, being of David, would be Bethlehem. And uh, that's known as the city of David. Bethlehem was where David was, was crowned king. Now, Bethlehem means the house of bread, which is interesting when you think about Jesus. And the bread of life. The bread of life and the sacrament that we take and all of that. So as, as we read these events, the historical context is important, and Luke is trying to, to nail that home for us by those first few verses. In verse 3, and all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So Mary didn't have to go. You know, this most males would have gone and taken the census. The whole family didn't have to go. And Joseph didn't have to take Mary. But this was, this was a perfect arrangement uh, for a couple of reasons. Because not only was she expecting, and, and it would be, it'd be good for her to get away and not to have to deliver the child and have all the townspeople in a very small town, Nazareth is a very small town, have all these people start counting. Let's see, when did they get married? Let's see, boom, boom. It's, it hasn't been enough months. Wow, and the, the rumors and the gossip that may have have uh, been started in Nazareth if she would have given birth to Jesus in Nazareth. And the second thing is, is that she knew the scriptures, her and Joseph. She knew that there was a prophecy that this child had to be born in Bethlehem. She knew that Micah had, had, had prophesied of that, testified of that. She had to get to Bethlehem. And this was a perfect opportunity for her. Little did the, the, um, uh, Caesar Augustus know that he was fulfilling prophecy here by getting this holy family down to Bethlehem where they could f- fulfill the command of the Caesar Augustus 
to fill out a census and to be taxed. So, again, some historical background. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, it's interesting that this verse, some just one little tweak in the Joseph Smith translation, uh, he adds an S to the word in. Inns. There's no room in the inns, plural. The, the Greek word for in is katalama. Katalama is a, a guest chamber. It really means guest chamber. They didn't have a holiday or Hampton inns in Jerusalem in those days, Scott. They didn't have motels or hotels. Uh, they had these uh, carav- caravanneries. These, uh, they call them the cons where traveling caravans could stay. And uh, they would uh, have these rooms or these guest chamber places where people could stay, and they could keep their animals on a lower level, and the, the families would stay in, a, in kind of a second-story higher level above the animals. And there was no room in any of these uh, cons uh, or these inns. There's no room in any of the guest chamber rooms. Uh, some of the cons, and it's, of course, the tradition is, really, that he was born in a cave, uh, the Church of Nativity, it was such an amazing experience to go to the church in the nativity when I was in the Holy Land uh, many years ago, and to go to the church in nativity is like the oldest church in the in Catholicism. It was built back in the three hundreds by people who believed. I mean, from a really in the in the second century, people still believed that Jesus was born in a cave. Um, uh, Justice Martyr and others had identified that they they thought that they even knew the cave and in the in in the fourth century in the three hundred A.D.s they build this church over the cave and there are other small caves there these limestone caves which would be a natural place for animals to be kept now again I don't know President Nelson gave an amazing talk on the first Christmas. Uh, I think it's been 20 years ago. I think it was in December of 2002 that President Nelson, as an apostle, gave this amazing talk in BYU speeches. And, and it might be an interesting thing for people, our listeners, to go read. Look up BYU speeches. Let's Google BYU speeches and read President Nelson's talk, December 2002. He talks about these, uh, these cons and a little bit about the history of this verse. But... I I was there. I went to the church nativity. They're burning incense in the upper level, and you go down into this lower level, and you see the cave where the Catholics and others believe is the traditional birthplace of Jesus. And then our guide said, who was LDS, said, now I would like to show you a cave where when President McKay, David O. McKay, did his world tour, and he came to the Holy Land, he came here, and as he wandered through this lower level, he identified this cave as being the birthplace of Jesus. Scott, I have no primary sources for that or any great sources to confirm that. That's just what our guide told us. I don't know if that's true or not true that President McKay did that. I, I believed him at the time, and I, I, I had a really 
you know, sweet experience down there contemplating that. I think there's a good chance to provide the privacy. Uh, maybe, maybe it would be even more demeaning to be able to, for Mary to go through this birth in a, in a public place such as a, a con and a kind of a, a barnyard area, which is possible. But maybe it'd be a little more private, a little more holy if she gave birth to Jesus in a cave with animals. That's where they would have kept their animals, no doubt. All kinds of animals. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I like to think that maybe Jesus was born in a cave. That's my opinion. But one thing's for sure. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, this is a fact, and he was laid in a manger. And Luke makes that point, and again, this is Mary's account, right? Mary gave this account to Luke. And she makes that point, I think, like three times, retelling this to Luke. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Swaddling, the the Greek word for swaddling, means really torn strips of rags. These are are rags. Now, some people believe, and President Nelson talks about this in his talk as well, if you go check it out, that there would have maybe been some family markings on these rags, or whatever they were. And, uh, And maybe there were family markings, like... He's of the house of David. But I think of them as being torn, poor, discolored, maybe even, rags that Mary, she, she swaddles him. Uh, you know, they believe that their, their babies should be tightly uh, contained and, uh, and uh, so that they, they you know, they, they would feel the, the comfort and also for other physiological reasons they would swaddle their babies uh, and laid him in a manger which would have been not made of wood mangers in those days scott were made of stone limestone specifically limestone troughs right that's what the animals ate out of there's many pictures of them that date back to the time of jesus and i think that's really significant that they laid him on a stone in an animal's trough, nothing could be more poor, more demeaning than to lay him in an animal's trough. But I like to think beyond that, it was a stone. It was a rock. It was symbolic of Jesus being the rock of our salvation, the stone of Israel. This is where Jesus was laid. And there were, this is verse 8, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding their field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. There it is again. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. He sh- ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. There it is again. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. 
And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad, saying, which was told them concerning this child. Okay. Let's just talk briefly about the shepherds before we go to the wise men. The shepherds were probably, in the Bethlehem area, these are probably uh, holy men, even though they're very poor men, somewhat outcast shepherds in in that culture at that time. But these could have been the shepherds over the paschal lambs that would have been being prepared for Passover, these, this is probably shepherds over the, who are watching over the temple flock of sheep. These are holy men. They are poor men, very poor. It's interesting, President Oaks, in his devotional address just a few Sundays ago, identified, you know, that we have these, the, the, the poor, the shepherds, then we have the witnesses of the holy Anna and Simeon, when Jesus presented at the temple after 40 days after his birth. And then we have a third witness of the wise men, the poor, the holy, and the wise. And and these are poor men, but amazing, humble men who immediately believe, and again, the word haste is used here, they go in haste and they find the babe Lying in a manger. Well, I was in Shepherd's Field. Wow, that was one of the highlights of my entire experience in the Holy Land was in in July being in Shepherd's Field contemplating these events. And while we were there and we were singing Christmas carols up over the hill of Shepherd's Fields comes this young young boy with his sheep. I I I could just see it, Scott. I could see these young, some some old. I think I think many people see the shepherds being old. I think of them. There must have been really young men, shepherds. Oh, I I anyway. It was an amazing experience for me to sing Christmas songs and to feel the Holy Ghost in in shepherds' fields, uh, looking over at the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. That's one of the highlights of my life that I'll never forget. Uh, so we have these witnesses, these shepherds, who then go and and tell it abroad. Yeah. Bear their testimony. Yeah. Being filled with the Holy Ghost. I love this next verse. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Yeah. I, uh, that, that's tender to I me. Know. That's precious. That's tender. Yeah, I, that's sweet. I... I uh, I get emotional almost thinking about that. You know, I uh, moms yeah. in general, that's yeah. just a wonderful, tender, in all the right circumstances, just a wonderful, tender experience. And I, you know, we, we all get to occasionally, we've we've had privy, we've been privy to those experiences, but nothing quite like this one. Yeah. Here's Mary, the mother of the Son of God, and she hears the... The the shepherds, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then she keeps these Four things shepherds. and ponders them in her heart. Yes. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Yeah. Well, that's the first set of witnesses. 
Then Mary and Joseph, after eight years of, uh, after eight days, sorry, after eight days, they go through a, Jer- a Jewish uh, ritual of purification. And 40 days after that, they present Jesus at the temple. This is all in Luke chapter 2, which, we, which uh, I, I encourage our readers to read. Um, and uh, there they meet Simeon and Anna as they present Jesus in the house of the Lord. And it's interesting, they, they should offer a lamb as a sacrifice. Mary and Joseph are so, so poor, I think it says uh, there, Scott, if you have it, yeah. that they present two turtle doves. Two, two tur- turtle doves or two young pigeons. So that kind of puts, you know, we think of turtle doves, and, and in our culture, we think of turtle doves, and there's a certain amount of romance and yeah. beauty attached to that. We think of pigeons, maybe not so much. Yeah, these are poor people. Yeah, these are pigeons. And that's all they, that's all they can come up with. Yeah. The sacrifice, which is according to the law, if you were really, really, really poor, you could sacrifice okay pigeons instead of a lamb. That's all they could afford, and uh, and it's interesting they didn't ask the shepherds for a lamb or however that could have worked, but they offer these these pigeons, and they meet uh, Simeon. Uh, I I remember a book many years ago I read by uh, Sister Ann Osborne Pullman called the Simeon Solution. And she made a wonderful analogy of Simeon, who had waited so many years to see the Messiah. And and all those years and all those prayers, uh, maybe thousands of prayers, uh, for that he wanted to see the Messiah. And uh, and he becomes one of the first witnesses of Jesus in the temple and cries out. But it says in verse 20, 25, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. I think that's such a great title for Jesus. <laughs> Again, the, the Messiah, the consolation, the consolation of Israel. Of Israel. I, I love that title. Uh, and the Holy Ghost was upon him, upon Simeon, and it was revealed unto Simeon the Holy, by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit, three times the Spirit's mentioned in this story, into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus. Then took he up into his arms, can you imagine this, and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. And he says some more things, and even warns Mary that it's, that it's going to this is going to be hard, Mary, and the sword is going to be thrust in him and thrust into your heart as well, I prophesying think, what Mary would feel at the crucifixion of Jesus. I love what Simeon what Simeon called him in verse thirty. He said, "For mine eyes have seen thy salvation." Yeah, I love that too, Scott. Salvation. Yeah, redemption. Yep. And then Anna. Anna, a prophetess. We don't know what what term that really means, prophetess. But this is a woman that's over 100 years old, Scott. We talked about the life expectancy being like in the 40s. She's lived to be over 100 years old. And she has waited and wanted to see the Savior. And she becomes one of the first witnesses of this, uh, of this virgin birth. So I, I love that whole story in Luke, no doubt told to uh, to Luke by Mary, 
and the uh, the all of the witnesses and the tender feelings that Mary expresses. I, I love the uh, the description in verse thirty eight of Anna's experience, and she coming in in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of an, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Yeah. Redemption. So that uh, they stay in Jerusalem. They don't go to they don't go to Nazareth right away. In in the Luke account, they go to Nazareth soon after this. And Luke doesn't tell us about the wise men. the The wise the account of the wise men is back in Matthew, in Matthew chapter two. So we have to go back to Matthew chapter two. Mary and Joseph would have stayed in Jerusalem for some time. Maybe the, Jesus was a year. Up to a year, maybe even two years old, uh, into, into, into his second year before the wise men come. We would just want to spend a moment thinking about this third group of witnesses here. So in Matthew chapter 2, Scott, if you'll begin to read the, the verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying... Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So this verse, there's a very important change made in the Joseph Smith translation. And if we read this uh, based on that change, it should have read thus. Saying, three wi- the, 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 the wise men, we don't know if there were three or twelve or a hundred. We don't know how many there were. But, but the, the wise men said, where is the child that is born the Messiah of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So what do these what do these wise men know? They know he's the Messiah. They know he's the Messiah, Savior, Redeemer of the world. Scott, you can't know that Jesus is the Christ except by the Holy Ghost. You have to have a spiritual witness. And they have had a spiritual witness before, long before they come or make their trek to Jerusalem. I don't think that these are wizards or astrologers or I, 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 all those descriptions. And maybe they could be, but the one thing that we know, these are holy men who have had a witness of the gift of, I believe the gift of the Holy Ghost, and they must have known about the gospel, and I think they could have been prophets. In fact, Elder McConkie says, we don't know if there were three. Maybe there were 12. Maybe it was a whole quorum who came. Maybe maybe there was an establishment of the gospel somewhere else in the East that we don't really have any record of yet, And, and maybe they do. I mean, Samuel knew, I think, the whole world if they were holy. And there would have been holy men in other parts of the world. We know there were here in America. And Samuel prophesies of the, of the day and the night and the day as if it were one day. And I think that's because of the star. We don't really, he doesn't talk about the star, but I think that was because of the brightness of this star. And, and that this, was pro, this star would have been a, a world event in the eastern and western hemispheres, and it was the, it was the the incredible sign that the Messiah, Savior, Redeemer, had been born. So these men make the trek, bringing gifts. I think inspired by the Holy Ghost to bring the gifts they brought, 
And let's let's just skip down and just read a few more verses before we we conclude this. Let's start with. Uh, so they they go to Herod and they say, "Where where is he? The born king of the Jews." Well, this puts, of course, the fear of God into Herod, and it even says that Herod believed them, and that Herod believed them so much that that he creates this this idea that he has to slaughter all the babies that are in the in the Bethlehem and outskirts of Jerusalem area. Let's point out too that's all babies. That's not just the young boys. That's all babies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, he, there's this great slaughter. John the Baptist is is miraculously saved because Elizabeth escapes with him, and we learn from the teaching of the prophet Joseph Smith that Zacharias was approached by soldiers t- to know the whereabouts of John the Baptist and 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 he and he won't tell them and the and this slaughter of the babies cost Zacharias his life. How we started this story, it cost his life because the Roman soldiers uh Kill Zacharias. Well, let's skip over to verse 10 and read verses uh, 10 through uh, 13. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense and myrrh. So that's why people think of three wise men is because there are three gifts mentioned. But maybe there were 12 and they all bought, brought some myrrh and they all brought some frankincense and they all brought some gold. We don't, we don't know. But those three gifts are symbolic and they're important. You know, uh, myrrh is an ointment for those who have died. Myrrh would have maybe been used as something of an ointment put on on. Uh, uh, the death of Jesus, uh, prefiguring the death and and sacrifice and atonement of Jesus Christ, frankincense, of course, used in the in the whole ointment of incense in the temple and other places where they burned incense, uh, symbolic of the worship of Christ and our prayers being answered and being carried into the ears of God, and and then gold. Gold was, of course, to, I believe, help Mary and Joseph to escape and to survive and to be able to, to go to Egypt and live in Egypt for who knows how long, months or years. I know there's some historical facts uh, associated with this too, Scott, that Herod the Great didn't live very long after the slaughter of the babies, and they would have come back probably as soon as they heard that Herod the Great had died, and that that could have been just a few months, or it could have been maybe a year or two. But they had this gold on which they could survive as, as the holy family to live in Egypt and then to make their way back into Jerusalem and then going back to Nazareth where Jesus was, was raised as a child. But uh, verses 12 and 13 just talk about how the angel again appears to Joseph and Mary and warns them, and uh, they escape the slaughter of the babies. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, as awful as that is, Scott, you can't think about the slaughter of these babies without thinking that our precious restored doctrine, that all children are, are not just saved, but are exalted when they die before the age of accountability. And that this baby who escaped Jesus the baby child uh, uh, would have been the one 
who would have made that possible for all these babies who were slaughtered. I, again, it's important. I didn't point out in verse 10, the, the wise men, however many there were, they came to a house. Joseph and Mary had left the, the manger scene long before the wise men ever were able to make it there. I think Jesus would have been in, actually, I think he was over one year old. That's just my opinion. Because Herod, just to make sure, has everybody two and under has has them slaughtered. But the wise men become the 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 final group of this first Christmas of the of the birth, the virgin birth, the miraculous uh, conception and birth and the fulfillment of all prophecies, Scott, up until this time of the of the birth of Jesus. And I just want to I guess conclude by testifying that I know that these events are true, actual, factual. We don't know all the details uh, as, as we will, will someday, but we know enough that th- this happened, and there are so many lessons that we can take from this. I loved Elder Anderson's uh, devotional talk in which he talked over and over again in, in telling, retelling the first Christmas that those go through uh, persecution and trials and difficulties and challenges in life, if they are patient and if they are righteous, all is well. For all of those who prophesied for thousands of years before Jesus was born, for all of those involved in this Christmas sto- in this Christmas story, Simeon and Anna, the wise men, Mary and Joseph, all of those who had looked for a Messiah all these years, to deliver them, the Jews primarily believed from the from the bondage of Rome, of the Roman Empire. But we know that He would deliver us from the spiritual woes and sins of all the world. That these events took place, and all is well. My favorite Christmas, I like the song I like to hear now is. Carrie Underwood and Michael Smith singing all is well, all is well. I testify that I know that that because of Jesus' birth and uh, his life, his sinless life, his teachings, his atoning sacrifice, his resurrection, that all is well. And pray that uh, all of you will have a Merry Christmas, that you'll experience the joy and peace and the sacred reason for the season. And uh, Merry Christmas to, uh, to all who, who are listening, and uh, Happy New Year. This past uh, weekend, our ward had our Christmas gathering celebra- celebration, and they decided on a theme of wise men still seek him. When we read this Christmas story, and as we've had the opportunity to go through it today, and we've brought to life, hopefully, you know, maybe some of the uh, shepherds and even Joseph and Mary and Zacharias and Elizabeth and even John the Baptist, you know, before before he came and all of these things, the wise men. I, I invite us, and I'm accepting this invitation because I've already been participating in it over the last several days, is where am I and how do I relate to each of them? Am I that wise man that would be in tune enough through the Spirit to recognize the star for what it is? Would I be the shepherd 
who, though I was sore afraid, would fight through my fears, being encouraged by the Holy Ghost to do it, and to go to where he is, even in the most humble of circumstances. Would I, without reservation or without expectation, go to a manger to worship a newborn king, wondering how could a king be born in such humble and poor circumstances? Would you go to the temple day after day after day for years and years and years, offering prayers, thousands of prayers over and over and over again, and this day... Only to culminate that experience by holding the King of Kings and saying, okay, Heavenly Father, I'm ready now. Recognizing the Holy Ghost to go on that day. Make sure you go today. On that day. The Simeon solution for all of us is to continue to act in faith and in and patience and endurance. What a sacred time of year. And as we began this uh, podcast season on another sacred time of year, uh, we will culminate there. But we begin here. We begin here as the Savior enters into the world, as the foretelling, as the prophesying, as all of those things have happened. He now comes. He is now born. He has all that he has in front of him to accomplish. I hope that me, Scott Durfee, and my family this year, as we invited us all last week to see Jesus Christ in the symbols, I hope that now we will embrace Jesus Christ, not just in the symbols, but in the actual reality of Christmas and all that it is meant to be. I testify, too, that uh, the birth of Jesus Christ is real. And that event at that up until that point the most important event that could have ever taken place and i know that if we focus on that and invite the spirit in our lives this christmas season that regardless of our station regardless of our conditions whether they be great or not so great we have the ability and the opportunity to invite his spirit and to fill his peace in our lives as we do that as we look for the second coming with faith as they looked and patience and endurance with faith and patience and endurance thanks for being with us we look forward to uh being with you again we do have a great episode coming next week between christmas and new year's Uh, we'll be sharing a wonderful uh interview that we have done with a, a great lady look forward to that as well And we'll begin anew in January. We have some great plans for a season two. We plan to kick those off in January and hope you'll all be joining us. May you have a wonderful Christmas season. May God bless you. May you feel his spirit upon you and upon all that you love. And above all, may you remember that you have been redeemed through his blood. Thanks for being with us. Have a great week, everybody.